Section 9, Volume 2 of the Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, translated by Richard Burton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 2, Section 9. When it was the forty-second night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the caliph ceased not to frequent the tomb for the period of a whole month, at the end of which time it so happened one day that he entered the seraglio after dismissing the emirs and wazirs, and lay down and slept a while, and there sat at his head a slave-girl fanning him, and at his feet a second rubbing and shampooing them. Presently he awoke, and, opening his eyes, shut them again, and heard the handmaid at his head saying to her who was at his feet, A nice business this, O Kaiseran. And the other answered her, Well, O Kazib Alban? Verily, said the first, Our Lord knoweth naught of what had happened, and sitteth waking and watching by a tomb wherein is only a log of wood carved by the carpenter's art. And Kut al Kulub, quoth the other, What hath befallen her? She replied, Knowing that the lady Zubeda sent a pellet of bung by one of the slave women who was bribed to drug her, and when sleep overpowered her, she let put her in a chest and ordered Zawab and Kafur and Bukhait to throw her amongst the tombs. What dost thou say, O Kazib Alban? asked Kaiseran. Is not the lady Kut or Kulub dead? Nay, by Allah, she answered, and long may her youth be saved from death. But I have heard the Lady Zubeda say that she is in the house of a young merchant named Ganim bin Ayyub of Damascus, high the distraught, the thrall of love, and she hath been with him these four months, whilst our Lord is weeping and watching by night at a tomb wherein there is no corpse. They kept on talking this sort of talk, and the Caliph gave ear to their words, and, by the time they had ceased speaking, he knew right well that the tomb was a feint and a fraud and that Kuta Kulub had been in Ghanim's house for four months. Whereupon he was angered with exceeding anger, and, rising up, he summoned the emirs of his state, and his wazir, Jafar the Barmaki, came also, and kissed the ground between his hands. The caliph said to him in fury, Go down, O Jafar, with a party of armed men, and ask for the house of Ghanim, son of Ayyub, fall upon it, and spoil it, and bring him to me with my slave-girl, Kuta Kulub for there is no help but that I punish him. To hear is to obey, said Jafar, and setting out with the governor and the guards and a world of people, repaired to Ghanim's house. Now about that time the youth happened to have brought back a pot of dressed meat, and was about to put forth his hand to eat of it, he and Kutal Kulub, when the lady, happening to look out, saw calamity surrounding the house on every side, for the wazir and the governor, the night-guard and the mamelukes, with swords drawn, had girded as the white of the eye girded the black. At this she knew that tidings of her had reached the caliph, her lord, and she made sure of ruin, and her colour paled, and her fair features changed, and her favour faded. Then she turned to Ghanim and said to him, "'Oh, my love, fly for thy life!' "'What shall I do?' asked he. And whither shall I go, seeing that my money and means of maintenance are all in this house? And she answered, Delay not, lest thou be slain and lose life as well as wealth. O oh, my loved one, and light of mine eyes, he cried, how shall I do to get away when they have surrounded the house? 
quoth she, fear not, and, stripping off his fine clothes, dressed him in ragged old garments, after which she took the pot, and, putting in it bits of broken bread and a saucer of meat, placed the whole in a basket, and setting it upon his head, said, Go out in this guise, and fear not for me, who wotted right well what thing is in my hand for the caliph. So he went out amongst them, bearing the basket with its contents, and the protector vouchsafed him his protection, and he escaped the snares and perils that beset him, by the blessing of his good conscience and pure conduct. Meanwhile Jafar dismounted, and entering the house saw Kuda Kulub, who dressed and decked herself in splendid raiments and ornaments, and filled a chest with gold and jewellery, and precious stones, and rarities, and what else was light to bear, and of value rare. When she saw Jafar come in, she rose, and, kissing the ground before him, said, O oh, my lord, the reed hath written of old the reed which Allah decreed. By Allah, O oh my lady, answered Jafar, he gave me an order to seize Ghanim son of Ayyub. And she rejoined, O oh, my lord, he made ready his goods, and set out therewith for Damascus, and I know nothing more of him. But I desire thee to take charge of this chest, and deliver it to me in the harem of the prince of the faithful. Hearing and obedience, said Jafar, and bade his men bear it away to the headquarters of the caliphate, together with Kuta Kulub, commanding them to entreat her with honour as one in high esteem. They did his bidding, after they had wrecked and plundered Ghanim's house. Then Jafar went in to the caliph, and told him all that had happened, and he ordered Kut al-Kulub to be lodged in a dark chamber, and appointed an old woman to serve her, feeling convinced that Ghanim had debauched her and slept with her. Then he wrote a mandate to the emir Mohammed bin Suleiman al-Zaini, his viceroy in Damascus, to this effect. The instant thou shalt receive this our letter, seize upon Ghanim bin Ayyub, and send him to us. When the missive came to the viceroy, he kissed it, and laid it on his head. Then he let proclaim in the bazaars, Whoso is desirous to plunder, away with him to the house of Ghanim son of Ayyub. So they flocked thither, and they found that Ghanim's mother and sister had built him a tomb in the midst of the house, and sat by it, weeping for him. Whereupon they seized the two without telling them the cause, and, after spoiling the house, carried them before the viceroy. He questioned them concerning Ghanim, and both replied, For a year or more we've had no news of him. So they restored them to their place. Thus far concerning them. But as regards Ghanim, when he saw his wealth spoiled and his ruin utterest, he wept over himself till his heart well nigh break. Then he fared on at random till the last of the day, and hunger grew hard on him, and walking wearied him. So, coming to a village, he entered a mosque, where he sat down upon a mat, and propped his back against the wall. But presently he sank to the ground in his extremity of famine and fatigue. There he lay till dawn, his heart fluttering for want of food, and, owing to his sweating, the lice coursed over his skin, his breath waxed fatted, and his whole condition was changed. When the villagers came to pray the dawn prayer, they found him prostrate, ailing, hunger lean, yet showing evident signs of former affluence. As soon as prayers were over, they drew near him, and, understanding that he was starved with hunger and cold, they gave him an old robe with ragged sleeves, and said to him, O oh, stranger, whence art thou, and what sickness is upon thee? He opened his eyes and wept, but returned no answer. Whereupon one of them, who saw that he was starving, brought him a saucer of honey and two barley scones. He ate a little, and they sat with him till sunrise, 
when they went to their work. He abode with them in this state for a month, whilst sickness and weakliness grew upon him, and they wept for him, and, pitying his condition, took counsel with one another upon his case, and agreed to forward him to the hospital in Baghdad. Meanwhile, behold, two beggar-women, who were none other than Ghanim's mother and sister, came into the mosque, and, when he saw them, he gave them the bread that was at his head, and they slept by his side that night, but he knew them not. Next day the villagers brought a camel, and said to the camelier, Set this sick man on thy beast, and carry him to Baghdad, and put him down at the spital Dol. So haply he may be medicined, and be healed, and thou shalt have thy hire. To hear is to comply, said the man. So they brought Ghanim, who was asleep, out of the mosque, and set him, mat and all, on the camel, and his mother and sister came out among the crowd to gaze upon him, but they knew him not. However, after looking at him and considering him carefully, they said, Of a truth he favours our Garnim, poor boy, can this sick man be he? Presently he woke, and finding himself bound with robes on a camel's back, he began to weep and complain, and the village people saw his mother and sister weeping over him, albeit they knew him not. Then they fared forth for Baghdad, but the camel-man forewent them, and, setting Ganim down at the spital-gate, went away with his beast. The sick man lay there till dawn, and, when the folk began to go about the streets, they saw him and stood gazing on him, for he had become as thin as a toothpick, till the syndic of the bazaar came up and drove them away from him, saying, "'I will gain paradise through this poor creature, for, if they take him into the hospital, they will kill him in a single day.' Then he made his young man carry him to his house, where they spread him a new bed with a new pillow, and he said to his wife, Tend him carefully, and she replied, Good, on my head be it. Thereupon she tucked up her sleeves, and warming some water, washed his hands, feet, and body, after which she clothed him in a robe belonging to one of her slave-girls, and made him drink a cup of wine, and sprinkled rose-water over him. So he revived and complained, and the thought of his beloved Kut al made his grief redouble. Thus far concerning him, but as regards Kut al when the caliph was angered against her. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased to say her permitted say. End of section 9 of The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 2